0: I said I wouldn't do it until it was at least 10,000 miles old. But here I am at 7,500 miles. I I just tuned my Golf R. Okay,
1: now when you say tune, there's like a couple of different ways to interpret that when you're talking about the Golf, because they have
0: several levels of tuning.
1: There's software tuning. you got to break it down for me.
0: It's weird, right? So people say, oh, I've gone stage one, I've gone stage two, all this kind of stuff. So I've gone stage one with an equilibrium tune. I was at a car show at the weekend at uh, the local tuning house in Raleigh, Black Forest Industries. I took the R32 down there and, sh- and exhibited that off in their kind of main like, exhibitor area. And I took the R down there as well. And nobody was interested in that one because it's too new and too, too common. But I got talking to a few guys about tuning options and stuff like that. And someone was selling what's called a Cobb Access Port. This is a tiny little cell phone-sized computer that you plug into the OBD2 port of your car. I then paid $175 to a company called Equilibrium Tuning to purchase a a staged tune map. So what they do is they go into the ECU and they remap all the valve timings and injections and all that kind of stuff. And so it takes the car from being a 280-horsepower car To being a 370 horsepower car. What? With no hardware mods required. No way. It's insane. That's remarkable. I did something
1: similar to my RV and I think I got like a 10. A 10 horsepower improvement. 10.
0: (laughs) These four-cylinder two-liter turbo engines that are in the Golf, it's the same engine as is in your GTI. The only difference with the R is there's an upgraded turbo. So it was a bit of a bigger turbo, and the R is all-wheel drive versus your front-wheel drive. I tell you, if you've if you've never got into tuning and you want to talk to someone about it and you've been thinking about it, I would love to talk to you on Discord. I won't take up too much more of the show about it, but just to say, I'm giddy with excitement with the uh, possibilities that this has unlocked for
1: me. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, can I flash my GTI with a software update in theory and see some sort of improvement too? Yeah. Oh man. Oh boy. That's getting dangerous. I think it's, I think it's just about as much horsepower as you'd want with a two wheel drive car. But of course, you know, what do I know? But to me, to me it seems like it. it seems like if you get much more, I'd want to go all wheel drive. That's so awesome. I remember when I flashed my RV's ECU, it, it went, it went from like a, you know, it was a drive that you could do, you know, you were, you were driving a bus to, it felt like I was driving a more of a truck, you know, and that was a nice improvement just because The biggest change for me was it meant I could get on the on ramp.
0: That's just it, yeah,
1: yeah, at 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 speed. And you know, I just had her checked. It's been flashed for probably three years now, and I just had her checked uh, yesterday, and she just passed all her checks. She's uh, excellent, healthy as can be. Yeah, made it back from
0: California in
1: one piece. Yeah, we did. And now uh, it's weird because we basically moved out to get some work done, and I had to rip out the Wi-Fi network, and of course, my you know my. My Raspberry Pi server died, so all of my services were down and I had to shut down my pie hole. And it's just strange. It doesn't quite feel like home anymore because I, I don't have control over everything that I want.
0: And home is where the Wi-Fi is, right? Yeah, I don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> I don't have
1: internet. It's so strange. So after tonight's episode, after we're done recording tonight, I'm going to go home, I hope, and get like the pie hole and get the Wi-Fi
0: back online. Well, I couldn't quite believe it when you messaged me this week and said that your home assistant Yellow has finally shown up. It's ridiculous. It's here at perfect timing. Ridiculous. It's perfect
1: timing, right? Because the, the Raspberry Pi died on the road trip. I get home from the road trip, and the yellow's there on the porch waiting for me. Yep. I saw the shipping notification, so I also ordered a one terabyte NVMe stick. So I've already opened up the yellow once, and I've installed an NVMe drive. I have a quick pile of hardware here, Alex. Before I get to the yellow, <laughs> I, want to mention, I want to mention what I was going to use. Uh, this is a really cool piece of hardware that's been ruggedized, industrialized, can get into super hot conditions. And it's an Intel Atom system with QuickSync that's out of a Tesla solar wall that I picked up on the road trip from a listener. It's decent. like You can even run a full Linux desktop on it, and it only, only takes about five watts idle. So this is where I was considering going. The only problem with this box, and I'm probably still going to use it. I love that it's DC too. And it's
0: got two com ports, which is amazing. Is that an XT60 connector I see on the power cable? Yeah. <laughs> now I know who gave it to you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm probably going to use this for something else, but it's such a cool little box. I thought, okay, I've got an option now, right? So this was one of my options. And that's it's, it's an X86 box, good power draw. Then the yellow arrived. Now, I have to say I'm very impressed. I think the Home Assistant team did a good job with the case. I've taken it apart a couple of times. It goes right back together. I can get access to it really quick. They have the uh, logo for Home Assistant ingrained in the casing. Laser etched up there. Yes, nice. Yeah, and all the ports are on the back. The compute modules just popped right in. My MVME popped right in. I think this is going to be how I will do Home Assistant in the RV is on a dedicated machine. I'm going to have a dedicated machine for Home Assistant. And I'm going to have an application server for all my other stuff. So Home Assistant Yellow will run all of the automations in Jupes. And, you know, she's got, this Yellow has got EMMC for storage for the primary OS. And they've got MVME expansion. I don't really know how you use that, but it's in there. So it's going to give me, I think, I expect at least five years of runway with that device. But then on your encouragement, and I didn't expect this for like a month, I also picked up, the Odroid H3 Plus that they announced shortly after our last episode. It arrived today, just a little bit before the show. It's still in the packaging. Oh, you went for the Plus, huh? Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Who am I talking to? Sorry, I <laughs> forgot myself for a hot second. <laughs> now, I'm showing Alex on the camera, but I'll describe it to you. But te- check this out, Alex. So here it is. It's got, it's got a, two Ethernets. It's got uh, four USB a, it's got USB-C, DC barrel power connector. It has audio out ports including optical audio out and it has HDMI and display port. Plus it has an Intel chip on here. It's got a pretty meaty heatsink on it. And on the bottom, it's got two slots for RAM and a slot for an NVMe disk and the killer feature for me, two SATA ports on the board. That's massive. That's a game changer for me because I've been using USB storage forever.
0: Welcome to the, welcome to the
1: the world of real hardware, dude. You know, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so pleased. Oh, I think it's going to be perfect. So this is what will replace my Raspberry Pi 4. And I'm going to run all my applications and more, right? Because I've got more horsepower here and it's got quick sync as well. I gotta get some RAM ordered for it. I didn't expect it to arrive this soon, so I haven't
0: I haven't ordered anything for what it. What type of RAM is it? Laptop style, the smaller stuff? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the small stuff. I think it's DDR4. Do I recall reading that thing will take up to 64 gigs
1: of RAM? Yes, I believe that is the case. I need to. I I should have grabbed the specs before the show. I'm so excited. It's funny, right? Because when the Pi Four died, I was like, "Crap! I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't. I have nothing I want to replace this with. I'm like, I guess I could build it around another Pi Four again, but." Then I'm not really going, I'm going through all this work and I'm not getting a performance upgrade. And then this thing shows up just a little bit after last episode. Yeah, it's perfect timing. I, they actually shipped it. I got it. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I think what I want to do is first is I want, to, I want to load desktop Linux on here just to see what it's like. And then I'll wipe it off
0: immediately and start building, I think, a NixOS server. I mean, it looks amazing, and I, I shared it with you for this exact reason. It's got a passive heat sink on it. So, you know, it can run completely, completely silently, which is perfect for a small space like the RV. Yes, totally. The only thing I would change about it, and I, I don't have one, but the only thing I would change about it is the fact that both of those NICs are real tech 2.5 gig NICs. I would have preferred. Two Intel NICs just simply for better hardware compatibility reasons. You know, Realtek's probably fine, but if ever I've had a NIC issue in the past, it's been not an Intel NIC and a Quantia or a Realtek or something like that. Whereas Intel NICs just work and it takes all the problems away. And, but anyway, it's, it, it, I'm nitpicking. Otherwise, it's a fantastic looking board. I imagine they'll be
1: fine, but I also 100% agree with you. I would also prefer that. Though, I'm just excited to have a NIC that isn't on the USB bus. So, you know, that's good too. I don't think it was for the Pi 4, but it is for most of the Pis. And if you wanted to ever add a secondary NIC to the Raspberry Pi to like use it for a firewall or something like that, you would be doing that over USB. So for me, it's like, okay, at least they're on the PCI bus. And then it would be nice if they were Intel, but I'll take
0: on the PCI bus. So what are you going to run on it? Proxmox and then virtualize like Home Assistant that way? or
1: Oh, I should consider Proxmox, huh? Well, you know, I'd still kind of subscribe to the no container theory for a lot of this stuff. And NixOS would be really good for that. But it does make a lot of sense to have Proxmox sitting on there. And I I shouldn't have any problem passing
0: QuickSync through, right? That should be fine. So, What would you need to pass it through for? Plex. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll come on to this topic later in the show because it's actually been coming up quite a lot in Discord lately about LXC versus Docker versus VMs, all that kind of stuff. We'll we'll come to that later. Please remind me if I forget. But in the meantime, I also saw another update in the news feed this week that I thought would make you a happy little bunny. Apple, with I think iOS 16.1, are actually shipping. It's real. It's really happening, people. They're shipping Matter. (laughs) This is my week, man. This is
1: my week. (laughs) It's all coming together, buddy. And the thing is, they're shipping it on the HomePod. They're updating the HomePod to support Matter. And they just announced today, as we record, a new Apple TV, and the fancier version that has Ethernet also supports Thread and Matter. So they're, I mean, surprisingly going all in, for Apple at least. I don't really know if this changes what I'm going to do hardware-wise in terms of like sensors and devices yet, but I am curious what it means for accessibility of Apple's remote control features to like Home Assistant. Like when Home Assistant gets their hands on this, maybe I'll have remote integrated control even better than I did before without even having to use HomeKit at all or something.
0: That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) What's important about this update coming out now, Apple being the first mover, I think, in actually shipping, you know, provider level support for this stuff. That's very strange place for Apple to be. But anyway, you've already got HomePods, you've already got Apple TVs. So for you, you could just purchase one or two Matter devices and kind of dip your toe in nice and early and get, get a feeling for it without having to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on all new sensors and all new whatever. Uh, And you can just do a couple of things and kind of drip feed this stuff in as as support lands in Home Assistant and that kind of stuff.
1: Which is probably the best way to go, right? Because I guess if history is to be our teacher it's very possible that the Rev one devices could be kind of so-so, and this thing takes a couple of revisions. And No. <laughs> no.
0: The first iPhone was perfect. Yeah, right,
1: right, of course. And the first wireless communications protocols are always perfect, too. Yeah. <laughs> <They>
0: never- <laughs> I'm seeing the reaction to the H3, the Odroid H3 that we just talked about in the Discord chat. It's probably a good job you got one, because I think half our audience are about to buy one. I've got to imagine they would be, because it seems like the perfect
1: device for what we do. I mean low power but performance where it counts NVMe storage instead of a eMMC or SSD and of course having those two sata
0: ports i have a request for you could you do some energy monitoring for us and like compare what a pi draws versus this thing because my argument to you for all these years has been look how much more powerful x86 is for the same power budget so i'm curious as to what that in reality is is that true or not
1: yeah yeah that's a great thing to check i will i'm i'm also wondering you know Should I figure out what my power budget is? I've always just kind of played fast and loose, you know, three, three, four pies down to two pies. So if I look at that, like what would four pies have taken versus having everything on just two devices? The yellow, which I expect is going to be, you know, what a CM4 takes plus a little bit more. And then now this H-Droid or O-Droid, H3, I'm, I'm expecting somewhere around five to six watts idle. And then who knows when it's ramped up? We'll find out. You just got to figure it out, eh? Figure it out. Linode.com slash SSH. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out a service. It's frankly awesome. We run everything we've built for the last few years on Linode, including our brand new shiny website, jupiterbroadcasting.com, which is kicked off and rebuilt on the regular on Linode. And we are super impressed with the speed. We've integrated it overall with our infrastructure management tools, and you can too. Terraform, Ansible, Kubernetes, it works with all of that. But maybe you're brand new. Maybe you've never done any of this stuff. Linode has what they call an app marketplace. It's basically like one-click deployment for a lot of really great open source applications. And they just recently refreshed their whole approach to NextCloud. It's got a new feature in the marketplace. They're working with the project. You hit that deploy button, you get a properly set up NextCloud instance on Linode right away. This week, I'm also just playing around with their GPU instances with a little bit of uh, AI image generation because they got GPU machines. And I'm not going to go build a crazy huge NVIDIA box just to play around with a project, right? But I'll go to play a Linode for a couple of days. And you can, too. With that $100, you can really kick the tires and try just about everything out from their backups, their S3 object storage to those powerful CPU or GPU rigs. Or maybe you just want a gaming server, a blog server or a NextCloud instance up in the cloud. Well, you'll have full control with Linode, and you'll be super appreciative of their support if you ever run into any problems. I'll guarantee you that. So go try them out and get $100 while you support the show. Linode.com slash SSH. That's Linode.com slash SSH.
0: I thought I'd continue my journey down the whole home audio rabbit hole exploration spelunking exercise that I've been doing recently. Lots of people write in, give me lots of excellent recommendations of different things to try. Volumio is still on my list of things to try. However, I thought I would try out the big dog in the room, or the, in the rune, the big dog uh, in the rune. I see what you did uh, there. It's terrible. I tried out rune this week for all of you lovely people. I love it. I didn't want to because <laughs> it's bet. so damn expensive. Yeah, but uh, Rune builds itself as the audio file player for music fanatics. So essentially, you uh, run a piece of software on a NAS or a computer or a you know, server, like I have, and it goes through and it catalogues all of your FLAC files, all of all of your all of your audio. So it can be lossy stuff; it can be f- lossless. Whatever. All right, that sounds great. I've got about a quarter of a million files that I've acquired over the years. A lot of them have ripped, actually, uh, of CD rips. I did a decade plus ago. I went before I donated all my CDs to the charity shop. The performance has been fine. You know, it it indexed that quarter of a million files in... I don't know, six hours or so, maybe three, four, five, six hours, something like that. Is this running on a Windows machine, Linux machine, Mac? I'm running it in a Docker container on my Linux server, but you can run it on a Windows machine too. So they do offer it as a Docker container. Yeah, they. Uh, well, I don't know if they officially do, but they certainly. It's certainly possible because it's just a, it's just a Linux app. The real issue with it, though, is that to to run this uh, server, they charge. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. They charge me $10 a month for access to my own files. (laughs) Yeah, okay. It's bring your own streaming service. Bring your own music streaming service, essentially. It does have a couple of nice features, like it integrates with Tidal and Cobuzz for high-res gap filling in your library. So let's say you're missing an album or a new album came out that you haven't bought yet or something like that. It will automatically go to Tidal and Kobuz if you have an active subscription with those two services and pull it in and fill in the gaps for you, which is, which is really nice. And it tries to automatically prioritize the highest quality version of a track available. So let's say I had an MP3 in my local library, but Kobuz has a high res, you know, high res mastered version of it. It will play the Kobuz version, which I really liked. Yeah,
1: that does seem like the way you'd want it. And I guess that $10 is going towards the access to the licenses to stream that stuff automatically.
0: Uh, I guess so. But um, Rune's killer feature, and I I say this genuinely out of love, is the way it presents metadata. So you end up with this kind of like magazine view of of an album. So let's say I'm, I'm listening to some Led Zeppelin or something and it, it it shows me Led Zepp 4 that's the best Led Zepp album in my opinion and so i go in go in there and i look at it and i click on one of the tracks and i can see on the credits you know all the different people associated with a specific album and you know who produced it who did the mixing for it and if you're a, if you're a proper audio nerd you can go down the rabbit hole really deep really fast because each of the names and each of the albums mentioned in the de- in the description about this thing is a link, and that's powered on their server side. You know, for example, Stephen Wilson is, is one of my personal uh, musical heroes. He's in a band called Porcupine Tree. He's done a bunch of solo stuff as well. And he is probably the most famous musician you've never heard of. Like he, he works with all, he does mixes film soundtracks and all kinds of stuff. And so when I dig into Stephen's profile, I get to see everything he's associated with and everything he's worked as an engineer on and worked as an editor on. And before you know it, you found 10 new bands you didn't know you liked because it's got some of your favourite influences in. So that's amazing. The the way it presents metadata is, is genuinely Rune's killer, killer feature. The other thing that uh, I like about it is the fact it does multi-room audio, much in the same way as like a Sonos does. Uh, You have a little icon in your playback client, and then you can just check a box, and, and suddenly you've got two devices playing in sync. That doesn't sound too incredible until I explain the scenario that really blew my mind. So Rune has this thing called Rune Advanced Audio Transport, RAT, that runs on anything that runs a Rune-ready or a Rune-native client. So certain amplifiers have been certified by Rune and by the by, you know, Marantz and Denon and all these big guys. They pay Rune a small fee and they embed the Rune-ready receiver software into their network streamers. You can also run a RAT-ready device on a Windows PC, a Mac Computer, an iOS device, a Raspberry Pi. And so you can cast effectively, it's not quite casting, but you, you can stream music to any wrapped, ready device in sync, no matter what OS it's running. So just paint this. Like I've got my iPad out on the deck where I'm grilling some meats. In the lounge next door, I've got a Raspberry Pi plugged into a Hi Fi running Linux. In the room next door, I've got my laptop running Mac OS. And all three of those devices are playing audio perfectly in sync that I'm controlling from my iPhone with a single checkbox.
1: Oh, that is pretty glorious.
0: That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. All the machines, all the speakers, all the OSs. The catch, and unfortunately, I think there's probably some technical limitations here at play, is that you can only stream like that to devices that are part of the same kind of ecosystem. So I can only group devices that are are rat devices. I can only group Chromecast devices together. I can only group AirPlay devices together. I can't stream to an AirPlay and a Chromecast device at the same time. Do you have any idea why? That's a pretty interesting limitation. Well, I mean, AirPlay the way it buffers the stream is quite different to how Chromecast buffers the stream. So it's
1: using their native
0: protocols. It's not using like a client on that. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, that's what the rat stuff is doing. So the rat stuff is running a native client on the specific device, so iOS or or whatever. And that's why you can't group them together. And I, I was a little bit deflated to start with when I found that out because I had this magical vision of all the Google uh, Home Nest mini hub things I have around the house and all my computers and everything all working perfectly in sync. And unfortunately, that isn't the case. What if you bought the Nucleus Plus, which is their twenty six
1: hundred dollars server that uh, that you can buy from them? How'd you know this service is aimed at audio <laughs>
0: files? Huh? <laughs> How to tell, right? Jeez. I mean, it's a cool looking case. I'll give them that. It's a beautiful ecosystem. Yeah, they've they've got a um, so you can run this Rune Core, this server software. You can run it in a Docker container, like I am. You can run it on a Synology on on a, a computer, but Rune also sell. This thing called the nucleus and Chris is showing on the stream now something called the Whirlwind, which is a rack mount version of the same thing.
1: That's so great. That one's forty five hundred dollars, yeah. by the way.
0: <laughs> and you know what's funny is if you actually dig into the specs page on these these pages, there is zero information about what CPU is in there. There is a page where they just say they have a on their partners page, they say they have partnered with Intel. Yeah, that's it. I mean who who's to say whether it's a Celeron from 2003 <laughs> <laughs> or whether it's an i core i7 I 12th gen I mean I, I I imagine it's neither but we don't know and that that's the point right it's a black box literally
1: Yeah and we, and when you're dropping that kind of cash I guess you know and of course the answer is they're selling this to a market who couldn't care less we realize that but it's still it wouldn't kill them to put the specs
0: on there if you go by the ports it looks like it's a nuck in there I have to say Yeah I agree. So, I mean, if if we can get over the price of this thing, because I, I I mentioned the monthly price, I didn't mention they also offer a lifetime pass. Okay, for seven hundred dollars. I mean, if you're really stuck with it, and they stuck around,
1: mm. you know, you got somewhere between five to ten years out of this, and it had high
0: spousal approval. Maybe. I mean, I could see that. So, Rune as a company was founded, I think, in 2015. And so if you'd bought into Rune in 2015 and paid $700, you would only just be breaking even on your monthly subscription. Just put that into perspective. Seven years is a long time for an ROI on that kind of thing. Yeah. And I wrestled with this pretty hard before I actually tried Rune out. You know, I wanted to hate it because it was expensive. I wanted to hate it because it was closed source. But then I thought, well, so Plex, isn't it? And you like Plex just fine. And so i kind of came to terms with it and got over myself and thought yeah you know it's fine you can try it out and uh, you'll you'll hate it anyway oh, i don't i love it uh- <laughs> the trouble is just as i've been doing this they've made a big release they've just released the 2.0 the version 2 which if you're a rune aficionado is a huge deal but to me as a newbie it's just unstable right <laughs> So you're familiar with Plexamp, right? The the app that lets you play your Plex music remotely. Love it. Rune have just released an equivalent app called Rune Arc, A-R-C. And this lets you access all of your Rune music outside the house. As it stands, the Rune desktop and mobile clients that already existed only worked if you were on your LAN and directly connected to your Rune core. Uh, I couldn't get it to work over Tailscale remotely, so Rune Arc kind of bridges that gap for a lot of people. However, this brings us to the cons section of my document. I don't really know how else to say this, but Rune with two have have shot their uh, what's, the, what's the they're kind of eating their own face, okay? And and the reason I say that is because. Firstly, they're charging me $10 a month for access to my own files, plus the metadata, plus the integrations with Tidal and Cobuzz. Okay. However, it gets worse. They guarantee, with the 2.0 update, zero minutes of offline playback. If the Rune core cannot connect to the internet, Rune's position is that they guarantee zero minutes of playback
1: because they don't want to have to pay out when somebody's wi-fi goes down or their router takes
0: a crap something like that you think well according to johnny darko who is the the source of this information he spoke to i think his name is danny over at rune about this there's a link in the show notes to this video because it's I, i couldn't quite believe what i was watching and you know johnny darko is a proper audiophile and i i trust his opinion Almost implicitly on an awful lot of audio gear, and just I, I like the way his videos feel. I like the way he presents information. Uh, he's a British guy living in, I think, Berlin. Oh. So, we, <laughs> yeah, we've <laughs> got to stick together, you know. But what's interesting is Johnny is clearly not a techno guy like us, right? And listening to someone who's who's operating on the edge of their understanding about how some of these technologies on the server side of things work, it's really interesting because it shows you actually that I think Rune are just trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. And I don't say that lightly. And the reason I do say it is because the Rune projects say they're doing this um, always online connectivity thing for the server because they want to move a lot of the processing to the cloud, and to move the product forward and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the local processing that currently happens on the Nucleus, on the rune core, on my local network, is moving into the cloud. And they say that they'll be able to batch stuff up and make it more efficient and kind of, you know, deduplicate a lot of, you know, template matching and all that kind of stuff, which I get, which I understand, and does actually make some semblance of sense. However we're talking about this through a lens of self-hosting, right? That's the name of the the podcast, right? <laughs> just imagine a situation where your internet goes out for half an hour every day and you suddenly can't play back the files on your NAS under your desk in your basement, you know. It's just unacceptable on a huge number of levels for me personally and I think Despite how much I love Rune so far and, you know, the the 2.0 release has been a little buggy and, you know, not perfect, a little rough around the edges. I just can't adopt a product that costs this much money and compromises on such a fundamental capability like that of an offline self-hosted type product. It's just, I just can't. Yeah, that's a very that's a fair point, especially when you consider there's
1: people out there that maybe... They're on Starlink and they're having a bad day or they're on LTE and they're having a bad
0: day. and Or they live in the third world and the entire island is connected through a single satellite type yeah. people. That that's, surely is not a big part of Rune's core audience. Starlink customers. I could see the Starlink customers. The though. Starlink people are out there, you know.
1: You know, and the thing is, is like it's sort of taking away one of the biggest advantages of you collecting all
0: that stuff locally for so many years. And it's just, at, at that point, why not just have a Kobuz subscription or a Title subscription? What what value is Rune adding if I can't even, let's say, you know, one of my friend's dad's was is uh, out of power for like eight to ten days with Hurricane Ian a couple of weeks ago, you know? Yikes.
1: It's just no good. It's no good. You know, for the pricing, especially if you were looking at server hardware, you could almost just afford to just. Buy sets of speakers for every single room and just put a dedicated hardware device on them and just call it good.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that. It was. It does sound like it was really nice for a moment, though. The alternative is Sonos, really, that that's got this level of fit and finish and polish and all the rest of it. But Sonos is just hardware, and and as we talked about uh, several episodes ago, when Sonos decide that a device is no longer supported, suddenly that perfectly good speaker cone and that perfectly good amplifier unit become a brick thanks to their business model you know and uh that's a thing it's frustrating um so i think that the next one to look at is probably volumio although i've heard mixed reports about that and i certainly don't expect the level of fit and finish i've seen from rune the other one to keep an eye on is Plexamp headless there's there's been some pretty good movement over there lately i i think they're working on multi-room audio stuff but it won't have the Rune audio transport stuff. So I doubt it will be quite as polished again, but who knows, who knows where this where this will go. But uh, that's my review of Rune, people. Fascinating. Thank you for updating us on that. We've been getting a good series
1: of feedback on multi-room audio. It's something people are trying to solve. And I know there's gotta be somebody out there that's like, just get a Pi Zero, you know, or something like that. But who do you really have time?
0: Well, uh, Rune. Sorry to come back to Rune again, but uh, I'm running one of the playbacks devices. is a a, a P, a, a Raspberry Pi running the Rune server. <laughs> right. Okay. So I am using Raspberry Pi as part of this as well. So you know, maybe one day I'll find the perfect solution. But I think until Rune guarantee, I don't know, seven days before the server the core has to phone home again. It used to be thirty days. The grace period, by the way with 1.8 which is the previous release used to be 30 days and now it's zero minutes it's just a hard sell
1: yeah especially when you're paying 10 bucks a month feels like you uh you know when you're paying when you're paying for something like that that's using your own media they should give you grace periods like that 30 days sounds about right that's that's about it you know i'm gonna be buying new gear soon cloudfree.shop's where i'll go to check it out and you can too if you use the promo code ssh i think you get like a buck off Light switch is coming soon. Cloud-free light switches. Light switches is definitely the way I want to go. And after we get to the feedback today, I think I'm going to be doubling down on Zigbee. I'll tell you more about that later, though. Cloudfree.shop.
0: Promo code self-hosted. Yeah, one of my Shelleys just failed, actually, in the, uh, in the garage. It, the actual switch, the relay part still works. But when I flick the physical switch in the wall, which in the garage you do all the time, nothing happens. So I've no idea what's happened with that one
1: bummer it's kind of a pain they're about to take it out
0: <laughs> you know yeah well i'm looking i was thinking about getting one of those zoo switches that we talked about last episode but i don't want to go just c-wave just for a few light switches i'd like to stay within the zigbee universe so if you have a, a good zigbee switch recommendation please let us know at self-hosted.show slash contact speaking of feedback docker versus
1: lxc versus a vm you teased it earlier in the show and it's been a point of conversation recently
0: Yeah, Monkey Angst and I were talking on Discord and he he wrote in saying, I'm trying to decide between using an LXC or another containerization technology. What are you using these days, Alex, and why? Well, the short answer is Docker and Docker and more Docker, plus uh, some virtualization and I think that's a... Oh, and I suppose in the cloud too, there's a couple of things up there. Most of that stuff's running in Docker too. And uh, I'm just going to you know, preface everything I'm about to say by saying that it's it's personal choice and there's more than one way to skin a particular cat in this, in this arena. The way I do it is I run everything in Docker because Docker Compose is awesome.
1: It's a great way to manage your personal systems. It's a great way to separate, without really having to do much of anything, separate out the application and the data. And just from a system-building standpoint, that is a great design practice, and Docker just gives it to you as a general practice. Uh,
0: and The other thing about LXCs to consider is that uh, the benefits of them is that it gives you an init system. So for those that aren't familiar, an init system is something like systemd. With a typical Docker container or some kind of other Linux container, what happens is the main process inside that container gets given PID1, process ID1. And when that PID dies, the container dies with it. The same, by the way, is true of your Linux server or your Linux desktop or whatever you're running uh, Linux on. When PID1 dies, the system dies, and typically that PID1 is systemd these days. In an LXC, what happens is you get an init system like systemd. My biggest gripe with LXC generally, and there's two really, one is that it's an extra layer of complexity that not that many people are using. Some people in our self-hosted community are using it, but generally it's on the fringes compared to the number of people that are using Docker Docker containers. The second thing is that running more than one process in an isolated environment like that is a bit of an anti-pattern. And the reason I say that is because because containers are designed to be this black box almost of of just a single block with a single purpose. And if you start trying to run more than one service inside that container, so let's say Systemd plus a web server... On the face of it, you're only running one service, right, a web server, but actually you're running two, you're running an init system, plus a web server, which is a whole bunch of overhead that you A, don't need, and B, technically speaking, is, like I said, a bit of an anti-pattern. And so the the other thing it gives you is, is some issues, well, not issues, it's not the right word, but added complexity around passing hardware through. So like QuickSync, for example, which I think is what we talked about earlier in the show, if you're running QuickSync in a Docker container, it's a couple of lines to pass through the render device. Uh, to QuickSync, uh, running in Plex or, or whatever, yeah, it's no big deal. With LXC, there can be some compatibility issues. Uh, it's a similar thing. You've got to pass it through, but there, I can never remember if it has a distinct lock on the GPU once you pass it through to an LXC or not. So somebody in the chat could update in real time, I'd appreciate it. But then the other thing you've got to consider is, if you want to run multiple services in one isolated environment, that's exactly what a VM has been designed to do. The tooling around VMs is extremely mature at this point. They're very, very well understood. And, I don't know, like LXCs for me fall into this awkward middle ground of not quite knowing who they're for. It's not to say they're a bad technology, because I think LXCs, do have their place just they just don't in my world personally you know
1: yeah well and and you know i think they're also a little more popular in the ubuntu ecosystem as well which is probably just not as prevalent in the north america area so i think there's that element as well i like what you're saying though about vms just to step back a little bit there your point about the vm is sometimes the right tooling people shouldn't feel feel bad about it i think is underscored by the fact that VM performance, it's like, it's not your grandpa's VM anymore. Uh, on modern hardware with modern virtualization software, VMs can be extremely performant, way better than they were when we were emulating the entire hardware stack. Because these days, not only do we have paravirtualized devices, but there's also just been a lot of plumbing in the kernel to get virtual driver requests to the physical hardware so much faster than, you know, they were even four or five years ago.
0: Exactly. I mean, you think about all those cloud servers that are running virtualized stacks. Uh, a lot of that investment trickles down to us mere mortals. You know, a lot of those improvements end up in the kernel one way or another. So, yeah, the the other thing we didn't talk about at all yet is Podman. And I know, I know being a Red Hatter, I should probably be a bit more pro-Podman, but... For me, the tooling's just still not quite there yet. You know, I I rely on Compose all the time for interacting with all of my services. And I know Podman Compose exists, and I've tried it several times, but it's still just it's not 100%. It's not quite there.
1: Yeah, it's like 90% or so, but it's not 100%. I I have the same opinion. I feel like Podman is a better design uh, system architecturally. Uh, It feels cleaner. It feels more native as well. But then again, you have like monsters in our chat room that are running Docker in LXC. Oh, my goodness. So.
0: Well, you can't run Docker in Docker in Docker in a VM. Right. You
1: know? these, are the, these are the people that show up to our live streams. Yeah, channels. right. <laughs> I do. So the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Very interesting. I'd love also to hear other people's opinions on it, too. So do feel free to go to the contact page or send us a boost. There was discussion going on on Reddit that I wanted to just kind of touch on because I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I had something I think is actionable. And the question is, and Alex, I liked this question a lot because it's being honest with themselves. And I think it's something all of us self-hosters should think about. How do I prepare for a time when I'm just tired of tinkering with Home Assistant? That's the question that was on Reddit. And I love it because it's like this guy writes, I've used Home Assistant for the last six months and I've had a blast tinkering with the platform. I've got 100 plus devices. Everything is working as intended. And I know from experience there come a time when I just don't find home automation as flattering anymore but I'll still need my lights and whatnot to function properly. So how do I prepare for this day? Uh, this, is, this is really, I need to take this advice in as well. Now, I, I've always remained pretty fascinated. Home Assistant moves quick. The community moves quick. It hasn't lost my attention, but things have. And, you know, it's, it's, we can, as geeks, I think we're just kind of prone to the new shiny sometimes as well. Do you have any hot tips on how to, like, prepare your infrastructure for when you are bored
0: with it? Do you have anything off the top of your mind? Don't get bored at the time where it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's such a hard question because I, I, I'm i aware that the raindrop of inspiration in the desert of uh, computer, of, of, you know, there's several things have to line up in order for me to be interested enough to tinker with something. I have to have enough free time in my mind and I always always underestimate how long something's going to take. So if I think it's going to take four hours, I know I've got to estimate I've got to have a whole day free. And if if it's quicker than that, great. I mean, that's often not the case with Home Assistant, but sometimes it is. Probably the best advice I can give, and it's not terribly wisdomful, but is just try and break down the things you're trying to accomplish into small tasks, small batches of stuff. Let's say you want to get a specific room behaving a certain way or you want to get just a couple of new lights added or something. And try not to leave anything half finished when you go to sleep or something like that. I know it's not always possible because, you know, I'll wake up tomorrow and my interests will be in cars tomorrow, not home assistant or what, you know, how it is. And uh, for me, leaving stuff half done when I go to sleep is the enemy because, A, I've loaded it into context, like in my personal RAM buffer or whatever, And loading it back in again is going to take a long time, typically. Sometimes going for a walk or whatever, you know, can be the solution.
1: We've also got to get the motivation program running again, too. So it's not just the context and the data and the state, but it's also you got to get motivated again.
0: Also, the caffeination station has to be fired up, too, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, essentially just break things down into atomic blocks, really. Yeah, and complete it one room at a time and complete it. Uh, as much as you can. That's a great, and that's a great tip. Yeah, and I find that helps with motivation too. Because if you actually think, right, I've done that and it works as as intended, next time you know you'll be like, oh well, I, yeah, I actually achieved what I set out to do, and it can be a, a self perpetuate, self fulfilling cycle of improvement. I think that's probably how I should probably attack like the rebuild of
1: the sensors and all the switches and stuff in jups It's probably just one room at a time, and it'll you know
0: it'll go quick. Also you are your own worst enemy write this down document your crap because you will forget you think you won't you think you remember it but trust me you won't (laughs) you gotta write it down
1: absolutely agree absolutely agree i have one bit of wisdom from my whole my home assistant's been unavailable and this is what this guy is worried about like it would crash and he just wouldn't have the motivation to fix it This is something you can do in Z-Wave, but I read how to do it in Zigbee, and this seems like the thing to do. It's called device binding. So you can bind a light switch to a particular light, for example. You can bind two Zigbee devices together so they can control each other without the central coordinator. So they, as long as they're both on the network and both devices support binding, you can have them operate without Home Assistant even running. And this is incredible because it means like all of like your switches and buttons and those types of things continue to work even if your servers crashed. And so this is definitely something I want to look into for at least a few core devices like switches to turn lights on and off. Those always need to work. And I don't really have the flexibility to like open it up and like install a Shelby in the or Shelly in the wall because uh, my walls are like. Two inches thick. <laughs> They're thinner than the Shelly is. Uh, so I have to go with the soft button route, which means when home assistant's down, no light switches, which is crazy. Just absolutely crazy. And so something like binding would keep it working and give you the time to continue to operate your stuff without having to actually get the server up and running. And they have groups and all kinds of stuff. And I've read that people also get this working with their Phillips Hughes. So you can use binding with the Hughes lights as well. I'll have a link in the show notes for more information
0: about binding. Adopt technologies that you own the firmware of. You know, Tasmota is a great example. Don't rely on a cloud-based service. You know, buy the right hardware, all that kind of stuff. Try, try and buy with the idea that you want it to just keep working until the hardware physically stops working would be a great idea.
1: <laughs> I like the chatroom. Serverless IoT. Nice. It is kind of, isn't it? You're right, Aaron. That's pretty cool. We got some boosts into the show. Check out this (laughs) Ierero Ierero. I'm so sorry, dude. Ierero. One hundred and thirty five thousand sats was sent into the show this week. He says, Holy moly! I know. In fact, I'm gonna buy a boat (laughs) that put us on the hot list. So in Fountain, uh, you you know, highly boosted shows. I believe it was this boost put put self hosted on the hot list, and then new people find the show. So when you send a big boost in, it it, we, we the show trends. And then people discover us. It's really great. So Herrero uh, writes, Herrero writes, I'm, it's not a million dollars, but these are all the sats I have. I am currently thinking of automating the lighting around my flat and I'm unable to pick between smart lights or smart switches. What are the pros and cons of
0: each one? Thanks, Alex, Chris, and Brent. Fairly easy answer, actually. Switches mean that your bulbs stay powered all the time. And you can, so you can control the switch, That you retain physical control of the switch and you also gain the ability to control that switch remotely as well. Whereas if you just go for a smart bulb and someone turns the light switch off, uh oh, you're out of luck. Yeah. And it's also just way more approachable
1: by every other single human on the face of the planet. And so if you have anybody else that's going to be in the space with you, what I I literally have on my switches here in the studio, I have tape over them that says, no touch because like people just flip light switches all the time and it still happens when we when we have a meetup here at the studio inevitably like a listener will just walk out of the studio and they'll just instinctively flip the light switch off you know
0: they'll even flip it right through the tape read the fm huh <laughs> what what is it rtfm oh <laughs> even if it's just a bit of tape on the light switch you know you got a r t f m rtfm
1: yeah that's true read the tape Uh, Prozac boosted with 1,200 sats. Just thanking Alex for sharing your secret sauce. And so I thought, just in case people missed it last episode, we should probably put the Badger Stack link in the uh, show notes for an overview of Alex's setup. People have been liking that. PA or PageDot boosted in with 3,333 sats. Hi, please take a look at the Funk Whale project. It's a federated music service with a great GUI, active development, a subsonic API, mobile app, and financial support. I use it without the Federation for my personal library, but I really like it because they really managed to keep me up to date and involve the community in their decisions I just wanted to share. So I went and looked at it super quick, and I'm going to put this on my checkout. This and Jellyfin, which I realize are not quite the same, but Jellyfin's, uh, the Jellyamp app that people are working on, and this Funk Whale, I think could be great solutions for my music because I'm not so much looking for a whole home sync. So much as I am just looking for something that could expose a local music collection to me in a way that I could consume when I want to listen, mostly in the car. Or on or
0: on home pods. Funk Whale's really nice. Funkwhale.audio. Are you familiar with it, Alex? i tried it out once a few months ago, and then just for some reason it didn't stick. I can't remember why. If we might interrupt the boosts for a second, we're having a live question in the chat room. Freaking news. What is the boost address? We've got jupiterbroadcasting.com slash boost, but then what? Pew, pew, pew. So you need a new podcast app because it's an RSS feed based thing. So
1: it's in the the uh, boost address is in the RSS feed. So you get a new podcast app and that reads that RSS tag and then automatically adds a button to your playback screen. There's also um, a browser extension, which I was actually going to suggest to you after the show, Alex, called Alby, A-L-B-Y. And that lets you do it in a browser based environment. And the reason I was going to mention it to you is they've launched a new platform called Saturn. Saturn. And I think it's like, uh, I don't know for sure. Actually, I have to look at it, but I think it's, it's kind of like having your own node and then you could get a copy of the messages and a split of the sats with saturn. I think and then I don't think you have to set up a whole node, but Albi is an open source project for a lightning wallet in the browser. I don't generally like it because, you know, I don't like stuff built into the browser, but I had a chance to talk to the co founder and, you know, ask him my questions about security and open source practices and. I actually walked away with a pretty good opinion of where they're at. So A-L-B-Y for that. Then you could just, uh, you could boost from the website using our new player on the website. Otherwise, it requires a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. And then one day, soon, one day, Alex, I have a dream. Jupiter Broadcasting will be generating all of our own RSS feeds independently. We use a service provider called Fireside right now. It's very common practice to have a service generate your RSS feeds or like a WordPress plugin or something because you never want them to screw up. So like people have just like specialized in that because it's like your radio signal. But right now we don't generate our own RSS feed, but we want to. And then we'll start taking advantage of even more podcasting 2.0 features like transcripts and uh, host information in there, like, you know, guest, more guest information, richer context around that kind of stuff. And a big one that I'm really looking forward to, I don't know what we'll use it for exactly yet. Alternative enclosures. So like maybe like an MP4 file or an Opus file if people want an Opus version or I don't know, but it's so your your podcast player will just it'll see the entry and then in the player you'll just choose like which format you want because we can just specify multiple formats in one RSS feed entry with podcasting to in the past. And you've probably seen J- J- JB has like so many different RSS feeds because any variation of file type you had to do a whole new RSS feed because that's just how these players worked back then. So it's a whole new generation over there. Very excited about it. I think it's going to be big for podcasting. And I think it's the way to keep podcasting decentralized and self-hosted. Because the other big trend in the podcasting industry is consolidation with Spotify and players like that. And then they do dynamic ad insertion. They do the hosting. They manage your RSS feed. And the podcaster doesn't have any control over it. And I think decentralization is key to keeping podcasting healthy. And I think self-hosting plays a big role in that. Fun Deck Hermit boosted in with 2,346 sets. Hey guys, I wanted to mention an amazing newish feature of R Clone. You can now use a Docker plugin to mount the local or cloud storage directly as a Docker volume. That's great for host isolation and separation. That is great. R Clone for the
0: win. Yeah. So I guess you could use, you know, like Google Drive as a Docker volume. I wonder what the latency is like, but that sounds amazing. I mean, if you're just writing, like an encrypted tar file or something. <laughs> yeah, for something like my uh, smoke ping, you know, history or something like that, that might be nice. That uh, I would like to keep around, but I don't really care that much about it. Maybe I'll, I'll investigate. That sounds pretty cool. Thanks, Fun Deck Hermit. Last couple of boosts
1: for this week. Although we did read all of them, we only feature some of them in the show. Soltros boosted with nine thousand sats. I recently got into Docker. After refusing to let go of my VM obsession. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any tips out there for use case scenarios or cool project I can run at my home on my Ubuntu home server? Right now I have Nextcloud. And a few
0: other odds and ends. Well, over at perfectmediaserver.com, I have a list of my top ten recommended apps to run on your new media server. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, if you have any other recommendations, let us know at selfhosted.show slash contact. Look at that. And you know, just keep listening to the show
1: because as you listen, you'll hear us mention our favorite apps over and over again, like Alex just name dropped
0: smoke ping. That's a great one. It's a classic. You know, it's funny. I got smoke ping from Linux Action Show back in the day, way before you knew me, and then I wrapped it up as a Docker container on uh, LinuxServer.io, and then now it's a thing. <laughs> I know, and then I grabbed it one day. and I'm like, "Hey, it pings Jupiter Broadcasting. That's awesome!" Yeah, that's why. That's why yeah, it pings JB. I know, so I put great. you in
1: there, bro. And it really is a great example of like an app that probably should be in a container because it's kind of super old and legacy in a lot of ways, and you don't want it on your whole system. Our last boost of the episode came in from BronzeWing, who boosted 9,001 sats over 9,000. There's another option called Mood, M-O-O-D-E, Moody, perhaps, that runs on a Pi and says it can do multi-room audio. And uh, we have a link in there to moodaudio.org. It's free, and you can get a hi-fi Barry amp and put speakers on that in each room, controlled by a web interface. And that interface is mobile-friendly. I hear it's actually better than Volumio. It could be the complete solution
0: worth checking out. It does look nice. Yeah, I think when my rune free trial expires, which I think I've got another week left on, I think I'll probably have to give Volumio a spin next and then uh, move on to this mood thing. After that, but uh, I, I'll be honest with you people, I'm getting a little fatigued with the music situation, and I'll probably just go back to Spotify for a few months whilst I just calm down again. <laughs> I'm just going to ship you like six
1: HomePods, and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it's not what you want. I know, I know. Uh, I also want to say thank you to John A., who sent 2,000 sats. He's going to be switching to Podverse. That is one of those new podcast apps that is totally GPL, web, Android, iOS, and it's an F-Droid. And I really appreciated that when I switched to graphene. And then Schmitzfeld, who Brent appropriately pronounces, I uh, mentioned that it was recently his first boost ever that he sent into the show. And he also is a big fan of replacing the Raspberry Pi with a small low power PC. He's had great results. He says so. I will let you guys know how the Odroid H3 Plus works out. I'm super excited about that. And then that old uh, power wall or solar wall device. I have a couple of ideas and I think I have a couple outside the box places where I could mount that because
0: it is so rugged too. all projects for future episodes. That H3 is the type of device that I'm trying to think of a project for that I don't already have a solution for. Like I want to buy one. I just, I just don't know why, what I'd use it for. I want one though. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky and your server
1: will die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we can hope. Hopefully not, dude. Hopefully not. Thank you to our SRE subscribers. Those are our site reliability engineers. You guys make the show possible by investing in our ongoing content production. And as a thank you, we make an ad-free version of the show and every episode gets a little extra content for the members, a post show. You can become a member at selfhosted.show slash SRE or support all the shows. Get ad-free for everything at jupiter.party.
0: And as you know, self slash contact is the place to go to get in touch with us. You can find me over on Twitter at Ironic Badger. Oh, do we want to tease all things open at all? Any updates there? Oh, yeah, we could do. Coming up around Halloween, all things open in Raleigh if you're going to be in town. Keep an eye on the meetup page. Uh, I don't know if we do the official Jupiter Broadcasting meetup or just the Raleigh Room. Probably just the Raleigh Room on Matrix. Could do. Either way uh myself and cheese bacon long-time friend of the network will be there he's uh, supporting a booth for system 76 at the conference uh so i'll be at the conference too and we might go out for a drinky poo in the evening after one of the talks we'll oh, see
1: no. now i want to go i really wanted to go to all things open
0: it's too much traveling but i yeah. really want
1: to go next year remember halloween raleigh and you'll uh i think so i think so also, I'll mention we have our Discord server. You can find that on our self-hosted website. And we also have a couple of self-hosted Matrix chat rooms. That's at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash Matrix.
0: And then the podcast itself, at self-hosted show on Twitter. And I do really mean it. I know, I know they say this every single week about thanks for listening, everybody. But genuinely, if you made it this far in the show, thank you very much for listening. This is self-hosted.show slash 82.